Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast. This is Brandon Saxton. And Katie Gordon. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? You know what? I've never been better. And let me tell you a little bit about why. I very recently saw the new Star Wars, no, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And it it is one of the best movies I think I've ever seen. And I don't say that lightly. No, you don't. I I loved it. I saw it too, as as we mentioned in the last episode. But we didn't want to, we didn't want to talk about it yet until you had seen it. And I agree. I just thought it was excellent. There were so many good parts of it, so much that I think it might need to be its own episode. Absolutely. So, uh, just a very quick spoiler three overall spoiler free, not spoiler three, but overall thoughts. Uh, I I'm right on on the same page as you. I absolutely loved it. It might be my new favorite Star Wars film. Uh, great cast of characters, great story, um, just a, a real masterpiece, I thought. so. But I, I agree, it's uh, certainly a movie deserving of its own episode and analysis, and we have other topics on the agenda for today. Yes, I think so. So let's we'll return to that in the meantime. So, in other words, there will be no spoilers, so you can keep listening even yes. if you haven't seen Rogue One yet. Actually, if you and if you haven't seen it, please just see it. It is yeah. it's worth seeing. You have one uh, week. <laughs> you have one week. Next week will be the Rogue One extravaganza. Mm-hmm. See it before then. Uh, but for this week, we'll stay in the Star Wars theme, perhaps, or at least the Star Wars universe. And uh, and and I think like uh, I've seen other people doing. I think uh, someone who certainly was inspirational to us and and fed into some of the stuff that we're working on, uh, Carrie Fisher. I thought uh, it would be worthwhile for us to talk a little bit about her today and uh, talk a little bit about Princess Leia as well. And then um, maybe go into just talking about bipolar a little bit, uh, bipolar disorder, which I think... Uh, I don't. I think it's something that not a lot of people know about. I think it's a little bit more nuanced than maybe depression, which people. I think people have a, a pretty solid idea, um, a general idea of what depression is. I don't get the sense that that's the same for bipolar disorder. So we'll dive into that a little bit. Talk about some of the uh, myths, maybe myths, facts about it, just general information, uh, some of the symptoms, and maybe the treatments. And then by that point, I'm sure we'll be well over our normal time limit. So <laughs> just to give folks a little idea. So. Princess Leia, let's jump off there. Uh, if you haven't read, uh, we have a really nice report about her, uh, a psychological report in the uh, Jedi Council blog uh, titled The Remarkable Resilience of Princess Leia. So if you haven't read that, it's worth giving a read. Uh, we really kind of go into Princess Leia, who's in and of herself a completely fascinating character, uh, someone who at a very young age became involved in a rebellion and a, a leadership role, really. So... Uh, Katie, you're kind of our resident uh, Princess Leia expert, certainly more in-depth knowledge than me. Uh, Tell tell us a little about her. Uh, What makes Princess Leia so remarkably resilient? Well, I think that what stood out to a lot of people, and I've talked to a lot of people who have said this, is that having Leia in the film was so different for that time to have this character where she is in full participation with the men. She's clearly very strong and very witty. At the time, Carrie Fisher was 19. Leia is very young, but already motivated and involved. She's a princess. She doesn't necessarily have to be involved with these Mm -hmm. types of things, but she seems to be motivated as a good and brave person to really fight the Empire. And so she also 
is fun because she's kind of famously witty, especially mm -hmm. that comes out with Han Solo and any of his jerky lines. I really like him as a character, but part of what's fun about him is he says stuff that's rude, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but she just takes it and throws it right back at him. And a lot of people had, had said that they think that that's Carrie Fisher's personality bringing it to the character, and that was kind of her contribution. She's certainly very compassionate, and I'm blending Fisher and, and oh, Leia absolutely. here. But so, so really, Princess Leia was a great role model, I think, you know, just just fully participating in the efforts and fun to watch. And then it was great to see her in The Force Awakens come back in a leadership position as General Leia, which is really cool because it defies, again, this is something that's not that usual to have a woman who's almost 60 in this major kind of leadership role. It, not that it took a lot of screen time, but the importance of the oh, role. Yeah. And within the Star Wars universe, she had with undergone all these horrible things. She and Han had divorced. Um, her son turned to the dark side. And, despite and, and maybe the, even more. We don't know exactly what happened with Kylo Ren yet. Not to interrupt, but no, no, that's it seems like there's point. a lot of maybe negative uh, sort of things that happened with Kylo, including we get this sort of vision that he may have killed a lot of uh, Luke's other um, Padawan learners. So yeah. there's a lot of, of certainly negative... Uh, traumatic sort of things that happened there. No, absolutely right. And I think that the way that Carrie Fisher portrays her being heartbroken about mm, that comes amazing. across. It oh, yeah. really does. And yet she's still strong. She's still witty. She's still compassionate. She. A lot of people have seen that picture when she hugs Ray. you mm -hmm. know, coming back and, and just showing connection with her. So despite all of those horrible stressors, that and also I didn't even mention Alderaan being blown up her home planet. Yeah, you know? well, So what is resilience to me is the fact that she went through all that stuff not without any ill effects. She's clearly been impacted by it, but she's able to continue to have an active role in fighting for what's right. And mm -hmm. I think that's really inspirational. And I think having her as a character kind of goes across generations because we've seen her oh, yeah. age in, in the universe, which is really cool so mm -hmm. there are just a number of things that i really admire about that character and actually she's one of my favorite if not the favorite character in the star wars universe oh yeah absolutely uh just a remarkable character and I, i'm really excited to learn more about her story i'd like to get some of that backstory of of what was she involved with um between the you know the trilogies mm -hmm. and uh the you know the original trilogy and this new one that they're making and what what will they do with her story now because her story wasn't really tied off neatly in a way like uh, Han Solo's was so it'll mm -hmm. be interesting to see and and I have a suspicion that they'll do something that will be a, a wonderful tribute to Carrie Fisher it, it just with the delicacy and the passion with which that the universe is being handled right now I very much foresee that I think so I'm sure they're going to put a lot of thought into it she is. Uh, apparently, they had finished all of her footage in episode eight, so okay. she will be in that. Um, I have seen some argue that the character should go on, even if it means casting someone else, oh, because of what it means to have Leia mm. for all of those things that I just talked about yeah. as a role model and as an importance to the story. Other people feel, no, it should end with Carrie Fisher, and so there's been a lot of debate where, about that. Where do you fall on that, if you've given it any thought? You know, it's tough. I think my initial thought was that without Carrie Fisher, it doesn't make sense to have Leia, but mm -hmm. hearing other people's opinions, while I'm not totally decided, I see what they mean. Yeah. I think it could be pretty meaningful 
to have someone portray Leia in the final film and still have that character yes. exist. And and so yes, people, I'm sure people might get angry no matter how it's handled because I'm, I'm people sure. are going to be divided yeah. about it. But I, it seemed like there's pretty good arguments for that Interesting. too. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Well, I I wasn't aware of that before mm-hmm. you just said it, and and my very gut response was the same as yours, mm-hmm. where it seems like uh, with just a connection that Carrie Fisher has with the character. Maybe we should just let the character be with her mm-hmm. um, and maybe let Ray step into that yes. role and try to fill mm-hmm. that position because I do think it leaves a void um, that that I think was naturally starting to be filled by the new characters anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a sort of a transition that we started to see mm-hmm. in The Force Awakens and I don't wonder if they could continue with that. That's just my thought mm-hmm. and I also see the other side as well because Leia is an incredibly important character and I'm sure uh, will have a lot of impact, or was going to have a lot of impact, in the direction and content of the story as it concluded. So, I don't know, it's hard to say. It is. Part of me, I think, wants the character to have a happy ending, but I know that's not, I mean, obviously that didn't happen with Han, and so that sometimes, well, like we saw in Rogue One, sometimes it's, uh, it's not... It's not a happy ending in the Star Wars yeah. universe. I, I mean, the or it's not without pain anyway. Even absolutely, if there is ultimately a happy ending. I, I think it's. I think you're exactly right. It's. Uh, it's not always a clean cut sort of uh, good guys always win right. um, universe. I think it's analogous to to you know real events in that way sometimes, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. But but at the at its root, it's it's a war story and a story of oppression really, and mm-hmm. and people rising up against that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Not to get too philosophical. But oh no, we expect that from our Rogue One episode. The, yeah, <laughs> get into that. I think it's hard to avoid. I mean, it's just that's part of what makes Universe so compelling too. Is that it is so relevant to current events that oh, way. Yeah. And so I think it's worth spending some more time on that. Absolutely. Maybe we ought to save the rest of our sort of uh, philosophizing about the. I know that's not a word, but about the. <laughs> I think it is. I, it might be. It felt <laughs> a lot like falafel when I said it, though, so I panicked. I uh, just wanted to cover my bases in case uh, uh, for our Star Wars or maybe Rogue One. Um, Exclusive coming up next week. I agree. Week. Then we'll go into the details. We already promised no spoilers, that's true. so we can't go back on that. Yep, that's right. Uh, so, uh, Princess Leia Organa, a wonderful character, uh, got a very high rating from us, I think, in our sort of overall Gordon slash Saxton overall rating. Mm-hmm. A great character, wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully. Yeah, that's how that word is pronounced. I don't know why I'm speaking so... I'm self-conscious of my speaking today. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Not enough tea, perhaps. Uh, wonderfully portrayed. Uh, but even beyond that, how great the character is, uh, Carrie Fisher herself, who we've kind of merged the two a little bit here in our praise, but an equally wonderful person who also uh, struggled with some mental health, uh, struggled with some addiction, um, but was very open about those experiences in a way to advocate for other people who are also struggling or maybe going through challenging periods of their life to maybe help them feel like it's normalized or to give them some inspiration or or just feel support from someone in the world who maybe experienced something similar to them. Yeah, a huge contribution by her. And, of course, she's she's best known as Leia. I mean, that's what she's best known for. But she also wrote a number of high-selling books, mm-hmm. including openness about her experiences with addiction and um, a bipolar disorder diagnosis. And it's 
it's really remarkable. That's another remarkable thing about Carrie Fisher, just how much of advocacy, given how much spotlight is on her, yes. that she was willing to be so honest about those things. And I think that authenticity is also what people connect with with her. And she also, which I didn't realize this till after she died, I don't know if you knew this, that she worked as a script doctor, that she'd clean up Hollywood scripts to oh, make I them better, including Empire Strikes Back, oh, wow. which many people regard that as one of the best Star Wars it's films. It's certainly you my know? favorite. And so she also did a lot of behind-the-scenes work with her writing. So she's just done a lot of a lot of different things, very accomplished, despite the fact that she had those mental health struggles, mm-hmm. which really, I think, is inspirational and, and a, a testament to how wonderful she was. Absolutely. There's no denying uh, how challenging bipolar disorder is uh, for all, um, all the individuals who experience it or have to try to manage their lives with it. So um, it might be worth talking a little bit about, I think I said, uh, preface this a little bit, uh, talking a little bit about bipolar disorder because I think it's one of the disorders that people are a little bit less familiar with. Do you get that sense too, Katie? I do. I think that the term is used, and also people mm-hmm. have sometimes use manic depression yeah. to refer to it and things like that. But often people use it to talk about just moods changing yeah. and not mm-hmm. the actual disorder. I think mm-hmm. that the level of severity within the disorders we're talking about Absolutely. and what it, it looks like, because I do think it's misunderstood, which is one of the things that I think makes Carrie Fisher's talking about it even more meaningful. So maybe a good jumping off point mm-hmm. would be talking about the manic depressive sort of terminology that's used. So that's an old term uh, previously used in previous renditions mm-hmm. of the diagnostic Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, which folks might remember us talking about quite a bit at this point, which is the manual that mental health uh, professionals use. Um, but not it's not used anymore. The term isn't. Right. The, the book still is. Yes. Uh, in its fifth edition. Um, but now bipolar disorder are, is under the mood disorders category. Mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm misspeaking, please do correct me. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's under the mood disorders category. And what you have is bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 mm-hmm. disorder. And a bipolar disorder basically consists of a manic and a depressive phases. Mm -hmm. Uh, The distinction between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 is whether or not the individual uh, between depressive phases experiences manic or hypomanic uh, symptoms. And the distinction between manic and hypomanic symptoms is most simply just boiled down to severity, I think. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think one. Um, I think it might be worth us talking about what some of the symptoms oh, of absolutely. mania are to yes. clarify. And and also something that I found interesting when I was learning about bipolar disorder that I didn't understand very well is that sometimes people think of it as someone who's always in an up or down phase. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, people with bipolar disorder are what's called a, in what's called a euthymic phase, mm-hmm. where they're relatively symptom free, mm-hmm. and so they have these discrete episodes, but they also have periods of time where they're functioning normally. And I think that can give hope to people with this diagnosis that it doesn't mean you're always in a manic yes. or hypomanic or always in a depressive mm-hmm. phase. They're not to complicate it even more, though. Uh, sometimes individuals do experience some rapid cycling, which mm-hmm. might be a little bit more like the common conception of it just kind of jumping back and forth quickly. But that's not the typical presentation. That's right. And and often even people who are rapid cycling, sometimes it can mean they have four more mood episodes within a year. Yes. So it it's it's definitely closer to the general depiction. But, but like you said, that subtype yeah. is a little less common. So 
we're jumping around a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of the overall definition. I think the way that sometimes people say or use the term bipolar, though, is sort of a, maybe someone in the morning is a little bit more upbeat, and after lunch they maybe seem a little bit down, and, and they might describe themselves or maybe someone that they know. Man, you know, why is Brandon being so bipolar today? Or I might yeah. say to you, Katie, oh, yeah, I'm just so bipolar. I'm just up and down today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe where some of the misconception with people are always up or always down, and it varies day by day or even within a day comes from. Would you? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think the other time I hear it is when people see say someone changing their opinion or changing mm-hmm. their mind. Absolutely. Oh, they're bipolar. It's whatever their mood is and yeah. changes with it. And so with bipolar disorder, that expression really, I think, adds to the confusion, like you're saying, mm-hmm. in terms of what the term means from a mental health standpoint. Absolutely. So if, uh, you know, maybe just in the future, uh, you know, this is something I know that I kind of went through as I developed as, or and, and still am developing as a clinical psychologist, is to just maybe remember what these terms actually mean and try not to use these terms loosely. And the reason that I, I try to think about that for myself, and, and maybe it might be good for others, is because bipolar disorder is very severe and very impairing, and, and we'll get into some of the symptoms. So I, that's just why maybe it, I don't want to sound like I'm up on my high horse here, but, but maybe just not throwing those terms around just as much. It, it, kind of part of our sort of outreach. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, d- I'm just blabbering. No, I this. think that's a really good point because yeah. it can belittle people who are struggling with those things. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's almost never used as a positive descriptor no. of someone. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a blaming thing. And mm-hmm. so it's nicer to find, it's it's a good creative opportunity to find different descriptives yeah. for mood changes for yourself and others. And even beyond uh, that, which those are both good reasons too, I think it also adds to maybe some of the misconceptions about what the yeah. disorder really means, which mm-hmm. is the very opposite of everything we're trying to work on here. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's just worth doing in trying to advocate for mental health exactly. uh, and reducing the stigma. So it's one way you can advocate for mental health is just by not using these types of terms. Absolutely. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Thank you for summing it up so nicely. So that's one of the things that that, uh, I thought was maybe worth mentioning. Definitely. uh, Symptoms of, so I think you said defining mania and hypomania might be a good jumping Mm -hmm. off point. So that, the manic or hypomanic phase is what's maybe more commonly understood as sort of the upbeat, more quote-unquote positive, I want to use that mm-hmm. term loosely, less depressive, certainly. But it's certainly not always, or maybe even almost rarely, a positive or good thing. Mm-hmm. Would, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Especially when you get into mania. mania. Right, yes. right, especially mania. Mm-hmm. So some of the things that, just to familiarize people with what a manic symptom might look like, that it has to, another component of it is that it has to last at least a week. And mm-hmm. so again, this isn't just this rapid changing mood type of situation in most cases. Um, again, there are some mixed episodes, yes. but the average case isn't quite like that. So the person to have mania has to have shown elevated or irritable mood for at least one week and have at least three of the following symptoms, having kind of an inflated self-esteem or feeling really grandiose, like thinking that you're better than everyone else, not needing sleep. That's a big sign that oh, I yeah. look for if someone suspects bipolar, if they have four or five hours of sleep a night and they're not tired. Mm-hmm. For example, that can be a good indicator. Talkativeness or pressured speech, and that's why when someone's talking and it feels like they're trying, they're thinking so fast it's so hard to get the words out of their mouth that they're almost, it feels like there's a pressure to it. And when you hear it, it's a very distinct Mm -hmm. thing. It's kind of hard to describe. Um, But just generally talking a lot. 
a flight of ideas or sense that your that their thoughts are racing, distractibility, increase in activity directed at achieving goals. So sometimes people in a manic episode will work a lot or do something like that that they feel is productive with their energy. Excessive involvement in potentially dangerous activities. So that includes things like driving recklessly, spending is a mm-hmm. big one that I've seen, um, unprotected sex, substance use, uh, those types of things. But But the key to all of this is that it has to be to the level where the person is really impaired, where they they kind of need to be hospitalized yeah. or they're arrested. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they're picking fights with people they shouldn't because they're feeling grandiose or they can't take care of themselves or others, or even sometimes having psychotic features like hearing voices yeah. or other kinds of hallucinations and delusions. And so that's mania. And if someone has mania and depressive episodes coupled with that, then it would be bipolar 1 disorder. And hypomania, which uh, I think maybe is a little is less severe. The right term would you say that, or less yeah. symptoms? I not I don't. So I guess the where I'm getting caught up is I don't want to imply that it's not impairing. Yeah, it's just maybe a little bit less extreme than the manic symptoms. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, it's less impairing. Yes. Yeah. So uh, hypomanic symptoms. Uh, some of these, uh, you see a lot of the same things. It's a, a less period of time. It's about four days, and it impairs the functioning a lot less. So I think. I think one of the maybe the easiest distinctions for hypomania is you see a little bit less of the legal sort of. Mm -hmm. People are getting in trouble a little bit less. Mm -hmm. They might be needing a little bit less sleep. They're being more productive. They're feeling they're going to accomplish things. But I think you see a little bit less of the they're getting in trouble. Uh, People are still noticing, but they're not. They're not fighting people. They're not trying to take over a company. It's not things like that. I think is a little bit more of this. Of the distinction. Yeah, and the point you bring up is a good one, is that often people notice when someone's behaving that way. That's And that's involved when we're assessing for this. We ask, has anyone Mm -hmm. said that you seem like this? And so you want to rule out things like, is the person just a really peppy person who's always like that? This has to be a distinct change from them. Or sometimes people who are on cocaine can exhibit some of these symptoms. So you want to rule out some of those things. But once you do, uh, looking at that, kind of severity can help you determine whether it's bipolar disorder or not. Absolutely. And then uh, maybe just quickly we could talk about a little bit what of the the depressive uh, phases look like. Uh, Yeah. Um, Which depressive symptoms that you see in bipolar disorder are the same as you might see in someone with a major depressive episode. So uh, a low overall mood, uh, changes in appetite, changes in sleep that can either be hypersomnia or insomnia. Um, just a lot of those sort of overall general uh, mood changes that are on the lower side of things. That's uh, right. A quick sampling there. but Yeah, that's exactly right. In the depressive episodes, people with bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 both have those yep. full-blown depressive yes, episodes. Yes, absolutely. So mania yep. is really yes, what distinguishes the, them. That's exactly right. The only difference between the bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 is the mania versus hypomania, mm-hmm. uh, which, like I said, uh, at least in my understanding, a lot of times you see is that sort of uh, manic stuff. People are getting into trouble because they're they're acting in a way that's so grandiose that they're running into the law or running into work or interpersonal problems because of it. Yeah, maybe exactly. a little bit to a more a greater extent. Exactly, and so I think that you know uh, to get an idea, this isn't that common. The estimates internationally mm-hmm. have been one percent or less yes. than that even, and uh, it affects both men and women. And typically onsets for late adolescence and early adulthood. There are some kids who exhibit it, but it's pretty rare. It's, mm-hmm. it's more common during adolescence and adulthood. And 
it seems like there are some genetic and environmental mm-hmm. factors that predict who's going to get bipolar disorder. Yeah, absolutely. So you have someone come into the office, uh, you go through your um, semi-structured interview with them, clinical interview, you come to the diagnosis of a bipolar disorder. Uh, what's the next step? How are we going to treat these individuals? Just really briefly to give people an idea. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, medication and therapy is going to be the uh, right plan of attack for a bipolar disorder, Yeah, most, the combination? Yes, that's right. It seems like with bipolar disorder, most people benefit from some kind of mood stabilizer. Mm-hmm. They can be treated separately for um, the manic and depressive episodes. Seek a doctor for details, and if you need help, we're not giving oh, medical yes, advice absolutely. here, but just so that we can give some information about this. Um, medication is often part of an effective treatment mm-hmm. plan for bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as always, uh, consult with your own mental health or medical professionals, mm-hmm. uh, not this podcast. Yes, that's <laughs> right. But 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 just know that it's out there as a yeah. as an option that helps a lot of people. I mean, medication has helped a lot of people uh, manage their bipolar disorder so that they can be productive and live good lives. And mm-hmm. so it's something to consider. It's not for everyone, but it's something to talk to a, me- a medical professional about um, if you fit in that category. Absolutely. Um, in terms of the therapeutic sort of uh, responses, uh, so if we pull up our, our good old reliable Division 12 page, which I think we've talked about in the past, this is the, uh, a wonderful resource for clinicians. And you know what? Maybe for, for patients as well mm-hmm. who maybe are interested in what sort of treatments have the most uh, research support. If you pull up for the bipolar uh, disorder page, you'll find a... Uh, research support for mania and research support for depression and they've got uh you know about five different treatments listed there which can vary across the, with their how supported they are for between mania and depression so it's kind yeah. of interesting like you said there they can be treated differently or maybe uh each set of symptoms if you think of them independently should be focused on uh, with a different intervention. Exactly. You might be using some of the, the treatment for depression, but it is important to use something specialized for the mania and hypomania and for that. And a lot of the common threads between the different evidence-based treatments are education, understanding what is this disorder like, mm-hmm. understanding what triggers there are, how to kind of uh, minimize some of the chances of triggering an episode or when an episode comes on understanding how to best take care of yourself so that it has as minimal negative impact as possible and so some of it involves can be communicating to family members so that they understand the disorder communicating it to you so that you understand it and then also a lot of it has to do with having a regular routine, keeping up regular sleep, yes. regular eating, and and trying to manage that, which can be really hard for people oh, yeah. to do when they're having these mood changes. Absolutely. And so uh, more details about that, we can link to it if you're interested in learning more about these treatments. But just know the bottom line is that there are treatments out there for bipolar disorder. Absolutely. And like always, uh, for any mental health, if you know, it's it never hurts to go in and talk to someone and see if what you're uh, experiencing there if there's a treatment for it if it's a, if it's a mental health disorder if you maybe there's a different service that could help mm-hmm. yeah that's right there's help for all the challenges that people face that's right so uh, I think that's kind of getting towards the wrapping up part is there anything else uh, I so here's something else that is kind of maybe associated with bipolar disorder is and it's it's kind of an interesting idea and and uh, 
there's sort of this idea of the tortured artist, maybe. Is that, mm-hmm. Maybe that's the best way to, to sort of introduce it. Uh, individuals who maybe they're, they have this deeper thought when they're going through a depressive part, or maybe when they're manic they can accomplish so much more and kind of relates to uh, artistic expression and, and uh, mental health. Uh, could you talk? I know you talk about that in some of your classes. Um, yeah. I'm not terribly familiar with the link, but there is a link. Uh, I, am I right on that? A, a scientific, there's an article that shows some sort of link between these? Yeah, it's really interesting. People were wondering, like you said, if there was a connection between artists and having bipolar disorder. And in particular, Kay Redfield Jameson, who is a psychiatrist, I believe, and who has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, did the, 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 she has a book called Touched with Fire that talks about this idea of creativity being connected. And so I'll just briefly mention a couple of examples. Uh, Celebrity-wise, Demi Lovato, who's a singer, has talked about during hypomanic or manic phases, she does a lot of songwriting and said that that was something that she saw. Now, the thing with that, though, is that sometimes she said the songs didn't make any sense, so there can be this drive to do that. Um, And... But looking in a kind of a broader group way, there's one study by Ludwig. They studied 1,005 famous artists, writers, and other professionals, and they found that artists and writers had two to three times the rate of mood disorder, psychosis, and suicide attempts as successful people in business, science, and public life. So they're defining creativity as having to do with art and Mm -hmm. writing here. And there was a link of elevated rates of mental disorders and they you know people have speculated that maybe that gives them a different range of feeling that inspires this they're not quite sure what the link is um there's another really interesting study that i think is telling and what they did is this is by richards et al in 1988 is they took people that had diagnosed bipolar disorder and their first degree relatives so that's like their mom dad kids siblings uh, direct relationship. And then they looked, identified people without bipolar disorder and looked at their first degree relatives. And then they kind of estimated how creative people were. And the thing that I found really interesting was that they found that people who were healthy and had relatives with bipolar disorder, that they tend to be more creative than the people who are healthy, meaning they didn't have bipolar disorder and who didn't have any relatives with it, suggesting that there's some perhaps genetic link between bipolar disorder and creativity. However, what's important in the study is that when people were affected by bipolar disorder themselves, they had they had less creativity. So it seemed like there might be something with the genes, which people are still trying to understand. But people who have the disorder, maybe that um, dampens their creativity just because of all the suffering that goes along with it. And so... One thing that um, that I think is important to point out is that sometimes this link has been used to romanticize mm-hmm. mental disorders mm-hmm. and say, you know, that's what makes people special and artistic and things like that. And it really undermines the fact that these disorders are very distressing. They're very painful. They involve a lot of suffering for the person who has them and for their loved ones. And, um, you know, 10 to 15 percent of people with bipolar disorder attempt or die by suicide because the highs and lows are so unbearable. And so while it's interesting to study from a scientific perspective if there's a link with creativity, it's just important to caution against romanticizing the pain that exists with mental disorders. The last thing that I would want is for someone who is suffering from bipolar disorder 
too hesitate to get treatment because they worry that their artistic expression or creativity might be impacted by that. Um, it's just it's just dangerous when it's you know that risk for suicide is so elevated in that population. It's just dangerous. It's true, and, I, and, and interestingly, I think that a lot of people are able to um, be more productive once they're treated, oh, yeah. right? Because they they're able to contain a little bit better. So. I think that's all that's known about creativity, although it's an interesting area that I think we'll learn a little bit more about. Absolutely. Well, that sounds good. Well, maybe then we could move on uh, to our good old classic, time-tested, Academy Award-winning <laughs> Pearls of Wisdom with Brandon. Uh, I should say we have not won an Academy Award for the Pearls of Wisdom segment, but uh, but we're, we're looking forward to it. So today, uh, the Pearl of Wisdom, you know, I used to just come up with these pearls of wisdom on the fly, uh, but then I realized there are insightful people in the world who have provided pearls of wisdom for us just to say. So I'm really <laughs> liking borrowing quotes the last couple of episodes, and I think we'll continue that trend today to uh, honor and pay tribute to Carrie Fisher to offer one of her pearls of wisdom uh, in lieu of mine. So for today, uh, a Carrie Fisher quote for you reads, at times, being bipolar can be all-consuming—rather, uh, at times, being bipolar can be an all-consuming challenge, requiring a lot of stamina and even more courage. So if you're living with this illness and functioning at all, it's something to be proud of, not ashamed of. Uh, I think that's just absolutely wonderful, and I think it applies uh, to mental health broadly. And, uh, you know, there's this terrible stigma that uh, being mentally ill or having a mental illness makes you weaker or something like that. Uh, men being mentally ill is terribly challenging, and, uh, you know, it, it's not something to hide. And, and there's a lot of people working to uh, reduce that stigma, and, and I just think it's so wonderful. So. It's very true. It's something to be proud of like she has that you're functioning at all sometimes during yeah. those difficult times absolutely so uh d do we have time for one more carrie fisher quote sure okay i like this one uh pearl of wisdom number two uh another carrie fisher quote uh to wrap up our carrie fisher tribute episode uh stay afraid uh but do it anyway what's important is the action you don't have to wait to be confident just do it and eventually the confidence will follow just another really great quote uh just about you know just just having that confidence and if you don't just do it anyway and uh and things will work out or things will fall through and and it, it you know it'll be okay i think it's a very consistent with cognitive behavioral therapy too where you there's the technique called act as if and the idea is that some I, some, I guess, conceptualizations of therapy are that you change the thoughts and then the behaviors will mm -hmm. follow. But a lot of approaches with behavior therapy are that you change the behaviors first and the thoughts follow. And so Carrie, I don't know if that came from her experience with therapy or if that was her own wisdom, but it's very consistent with that idea is that it's you accept that emotion, you're not pushing away the emotion, but it's not stopping you from doing what you need to do. Absolutely. So... I think that's probably it for today for our Carrie Fisher slash bipolar episode. We hope you enjoyed it, uh, and we hope maybe you learned a little bit something about bipolar disorder and what that means, and uh, maybe you learned a little bit something about being inspired by Carrie Fisher. So, uh, I think I certainly am. I, I certainly am too. I was I was really upset to her, hear oh, that she I had died. Too. She's just been she's just 
was so inspirational, so funny, Absolutely. so many wonderful things. Absolutely. So I think we have one person uh, for our thank you of the week. I, I, mm-hmm. We've been trying to pick a couple of people. There's so many absolutely wonderful people that we've gotten the great pleasure, and, and we've been so fortunate to interact with all over the world. So I think you had one for this week that you wanted to do, our special Jedi Council uh, thank you for. Yes, Virginia, I want to thank you because you've been – great about responding to our posts and listening to our podcasts and giving us commentary and and feedback and we just really appreciate you doing that so thank you virginia absolutely thank you so much uh we really appreciate it uh it's such a just an absolute pleasure to to do this podcast and the blog uh which there is a blog post coming uh people might have missed one over the new year uh Take it as your, your holiday break from our blog. So enjoy that. Uh, and as always, folks, thank you so much for listening in. You can find us at www.jedi-council.com. We've got links there to all of our blog posts, all of our podcast episodes. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, podcasts are available on Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, we really appreciate when folks are able to leave a review for us to let us know how we're doing. We read them all. We like to thank folks on the air. Uh, if you can't do that, even just tweeting about us, we appreciate that. Uh, we don't pay for any advertising, so we that's how people are hearing about us. So we really appreciate everything that uh, everyone's doing for us. And uh, so our sign-off for this week, uh, a classic Han Solo quote, uh, as you go off into the weekend, enjoy your weekend, and uh, fly casual.